Today, our scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke. We have a tradition in the church of standing for the reading of the Gospel. It's important that we understand that we stand, that the, we understand that the reason that we stand is because these are the books that hold the teachings and the words of Jesus. So I invite you to stand with me. 13, 18 through 21. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what should I compare it? It is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made their nest in its branches. And again he said, To what should I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Let us hear where the Holy Spirit speaks to us today. Amen. Faith, living water, it is so good to be with you this morning. I want you to know that while we may be looking at a camera, we're imagining your faces, those of you who call this community home. And so we are so grateful that you would be with us this day. As we have heard the gospel text read among us, now we pause for a moment of prayer, asking God to illuminate these words for us. Let us pray. God, you are good. That is what we know this day. We know that no matter our external circumstances, because of you, it is well with our soul. And so we trust in you, O oh God, to do what only you can do among us. A month ago, none of us expected that the privilege of in-person worship might be something we would have to sacrifice. But we give you great thanks and praise that in the midst of that, you found ways to draw us together, your people so that we might hear your word read and proclaimed, so that we might sing your praises, so that we might give you thanks. And so we pray for your illumination, that during this time of giving our attention to you and to your words, that you and you alone would speak. This is what we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So my daughter and I, we have a fascination with small things. In fact, the place where we most enjoy going when we go to Walgreens or, or Target is that little trial size aisle, you know, where you can buy little soaps and little lotions and, and tiny things. We just, we love that. We love it when the restaurants will bring us not just uh, samples, but like little sizes of small bottles of ketchup or a small bottle of syrup when you, when you order pancakes. Or the best one was when we got a tiny bottle of Tabasco and it looked just like the big bottle had the label and everything. It was so awesome and made me think about when Elizabeth was younger. Uh, she really enjoyed working with polymer clay. That was something I knew nothing about until Elizabeth probably on YouTube had watched a video and, and saw polymer clay. And so she began to make miniature versions of food. And I have a picture to show you. These are some of the items that I still have in my office to this day. Uh, we put a quarter next to it so you could see the size comparison, just how tiny they are. And I keep them in my office because... 
when kids could come to my office and, and visit me, uh, they would enjoy them too. And I started thinking about all of us really kind of, we have, and maybe not to the level that Elizabeth and I have it, but we have some fascination with small things. In fact, when you go back through the photos that I have on my phone, you'll see the theme. Two years ago, our family took a trip to Walt Disney World, and my favorite ride out of all of them was Slinky Dog Dash. It's in Toy Story Land, and this is so amazing. You probably won't be surprised, but I was when I had to think about why did I like that ride so much. It's because of the queue. The line you stand in waiting to get to the ride is so awesome. They have all of these things, small things that have been blown up, bigger than life. Um, I had my picture taken in front of the Tinker Toy uh, container because as I grew up, the Tinker Toys and the multicolored wooden blocks and the Yahtzee and all of that, and those were things that Mr. Potato Head that I grew up with. And here in this queue, they were all life-size. It was so amazing. I love small things that look big, right? I loved the tiny desserts at the Beast Castle, the little tiny things that, that look big. And in fact, I, I really have an eye for small things wherever I go. I took this picture of unicorn hand puppets, which I really wanted. I found them at Cracker Barrel, but I didn't buy them because I couldn't think of a use for them. But I at least took a picture of them. I mean, I love those unicorn puppets. I thought they were the coolest thing ever. I'm sure my love for small things is why I was so drawn to our latest edition, Jackson. He's a toy Australian shepherd, and he was so little when he first came to live with us, my heart would just melt when he would fall asleep in, in my lap. This is a picture of Jackson and Elizabeth, but you can see how little he was. He just stole my heart right from the very beginning. So what is it about small things that capture our attention, people of God? Well, what is that? That's the question that I brought to the text as I was praying over it and reading it this week and thinking about how it is that we might hear the word of God together, what is our fascination with small things? Jesus uses two examples to show us what the kingdom of God is like. And both of these examples lean into this fascination, lean in to this fascination that we have with small things. In the first example, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. So I, I looked it up. Friends, it takes 725 to 760 mustard seeds to make a gram. And if you're not familiar with that unit of measure, like how big is a gram? It takes 454 grams to make a pound. So the mustard seed is very, very tiny. And yet, the mature plant usually grows to a height of 8 to 9 feet. Anywhere from 6 to 20 feet is not unusual. Talk about a small thing making a big difference. In Jesus' part of the world, a mustard plant would have been a familiar sight. In fact, it still is today. I want to show you a picture of kind of a typical mustard plant. In fact, they often grow in fields. Some of them are cultivated, some are wild. And it's common for these trees to host a lot of birds because the birds love the mustard seeds. In fact, one of the commentaries I read said that often a mustard bush, that's what it looks like to me, will have a cloud of birds around it. Just so many birds because they love these little tiny seeds. 
When Matthew tells this parable in his gospel, the smallness of the seed is emphasized. But it's not so in Luke's telling. You have to infer that. Because in Luke's telling, he's much more interested in the result. Luke is interested in the provision of the mustard tree for those birds. That's what he wants you to pay attention to. So it's interesting to think about a mustard seed that, seed that grows into a mustard tree or bush or, or just large plant, right? When you contrast that with images for the kingdom that we find in the Old Testament. Repeatedly, the kingdom of Israel is compared to the strength and height of cedars, not mustard trees. So feel the surprise among Jesus' hearers when what they expect him to say is, the kingdom of God is like a strong, tall cedar standing firm from generation to generation. And they would say, yes, Jesus, that's right. And instead, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a common shrub, comes from small beginnings, but clings ferociously to life in every imaginable nook and cranny, so it can provide a place for the birds to nest. Huh, what? Wait a minute. As Pastor Heather mentioned in our time together before the service began, see, parables have this way of taking our expectations or our values or our assumptions, however you want to name that, and they turn them on their head. And, and that's what Jesus is doing here. At least some of the hearers, when he's telling this parable, would have taken the next step and asked this question. So do all the birds get to nest in those branches? And it's not like sheep, where a gate is going to keep the right ones in and the wrong ones out. If the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, a little tiny thing that, that grows to become a mustard tree that offers shelter to all the birds of the air, even ones that we don't like, we're going to have to make room for small things. So, so Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like that. And then he moves to the next comparison. He says the kingdom of God is like yeast that was mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Now I want to suggest that when you read it, take a pause between flour and until. So it reads like this. The kingdom of God is like yeast mixed in with three measures of flour. Until all of it was leavened. Okay? Because we all know this, right? Yeast takes time to work. And maybe that's the way Jesus would have told that parable so that they could feel the working of the yeast. Don't lose sight of that as we hear what Jesus is saying in this parable. First, consider the extraordinary amount of flour that Jesus uses as this example. You see, three measures of flour is about 50 pounds. 50 pounds. Like, you don't keep that in your pantry, right? I mean, that, that takes a big container to hold 50 pounds a flower, it's not just what you keep around for making that loaf of bread when you're quarantined at home. Now, both the NRSV and the NIV translate the verb in this parable as mixed, that, that the woman mixed this yeast into these three measures of flour, this 50 pounds. But actually, in the NRSV translation, there's a, there's a note, a translation note. 
And it says that that verb could actually be translated hid. That she hid the yeast in these three measures of flour. And that actually makes a bit more sense when you think about how yeast is viewed in a Jewish context. So when you look at the references to yeast in the Old Testament and, and the references to yeast that are there in the New Testament, all of them, yeast is a synonym for evil. And it's because of the way the yeast infiltrates and spreads. And so yeast has a very negative connotation, except in this parable. So I would encourage us to go back to the experience of the Passover that we read about in the book of Exodus. So God's people have been enslaved and oppressed in Egypt. And the night before they are to flee, God gives them very specific instructions about how they are to take their last meal together. And very specifically says to them to eat unleavened bread which created a whole set of, of kosher laws about how yeast had to be cleansed from, from uh, kosher food preparation areas so that there would be no yeast anywhere because yeast is actually found naturally, which those of you who have shopped for it recently would probably be grateful for because from uh, my daughter Elizabeth's report when she went shopping, like there's no yeast anywhere to be found right now. But you can actually... Uh, find it in nature, and she is making a sourdough starter right now with no yeast, just by using the yeast that occurs naturally on the flour. So it's very hard to get rid of yeast. So this yeast that this woman takes, which is probably a tiny loaf of dough, or a tiny bit of dough, she hides it in this huge amount of flour, hoping it will go unnoticed. Instead, over time, it infiltrates the whole batch because the yeast refuses to be concealed. It leavens the whole container, all 50 pounds of it. And what Jesus wants us to see here is that's the character and nature of the kingdom of God. That it starts small and it moves out and it does what the kingdom of God does. It infiltrates and it changes the whole world. So this parable of the mustard seed, it dramatizes the presence of the kingdom in these insignificant beginnings that then become a welcoming presence to all. All the birds nest in these branches. And then the parable of the yeast reminds us that even small beginnings are powerful, changing the character of the whole. So faith, this is what I ask you. Living water, I want you to, to hear this question. What small thing something you had not paid attention to before. It was there, but you had not paid attention to it. What small thing came to the fore for you this week? Right, Our whole world has been turned upside down, and we begin to notice the small things. This week, our Disciple Bible Study class met over Zoom. Next week is going to be our last lesson. So we've been together as of this Wednesday for 23 weeks. We've gotten to know each other over that period of time. It's been rich and beautiful. But this was the first time we had ever met over Zoom, so I hopped on about 10 minutes ahead of class, hoping that I could help people, you know, if they were having trouble with their video or their microphone. Turns out I'm not much help. Um, all I can do is, is give you a thumbs up or, or whatever. But, you know, so, so I was there, and, and we began to chat with each other. 
We talked about the things you would talk about. Quarantines, kids being out of school, cleaning house, our concern for our friends and loved ones that we know have been exposed to the coronavirus. And we had often had conversations like this before class. When we were meeting face to face, I'd be in the classroom a few minutes early and people would come in and they'd check in with each other and they'd check in with me. Hey, how are you doing? How are things going? But I'd never been thirsty for those conversations before. But this week, when I hopped on Zoom and each little ding meant that another person was coming online with us, I was so excited and I wanted to know, so how are you? How are you really? Wow. Hmm. Small thing that runs under the radar until we are all stuck in our homes and would give anything to be face to face. Last week, or not last week, next week, will be our final class together. We always receive communion together in that session. And when I told my class on Zoom this last Wednesday that we're going to still be able to receive the sacrament together. Each of us in our own homes, but we're going to receive the sacrament of communion together. There was this sort of internet collective sigh of relief. Oh, so glad. So glad we didn't want to have to miss that. You see, we have given up so much over the last 10 days. We have lost, friends, we have lost so much of our connection that we took for granted. And to know that we were going to be able to have that connection felt so wonderful and beautiful in ways that we wouldn't have noticed before. And I do want to remind you that next week, we're going to take communion together as a worshiping community. Now some of you, those of you who attend our 830 service or those that are at Living Water, you take communion every week and others of you are used to taking it once a month. Well, next Sunday, we're going to take communion together because that's our way of saying that as a family of God, as those who call Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, that we can still participate with each other. So I want to encourage you to have your elements ready next week, your bread and your juice. These are small things, right? So I ask you, what small thing did you notice this week? It's always been there, like the mustard seed or like the yeast. And yet this week, you wondered if it might have more power than you'd ever attributed to it before. These were some small things that I noticed this week. Taking the dogs for a walk and actually hearing the birds sing because I don't need to hurry to get back to the office. Right? I'm not going to the office. Actually, when you go to the store, one of the small things I noticed this week that I'd never noticed before I wondered how many people had touched that item that I took off the shelf and put in my basket before I touched it. Never noticed that before. Sometimes when I'm on my way to church, I, I make a mental list of the people I need to talk to uh, that day. I assume I'm, you know, I'm going to run into them at some point during the day. I never noticed that I did that before until this week. I'm like, I'm not going to see anyone. <laughs> There's no one for me to run into this week. And this week, I noticed the pleasure of a cup of coffee during my morning prayer time because I don't have to rush off for a meeting. I can linger just a few minutes longer. And it was beautiful. These are small things, right? And, and I know, friends, when the world groans, that's been my image as I've prayed this week, I feel like our world is groaning under the weight of a threat that none of us have ever experienced before. 
we have no context for this. We don't know what this means. And our world is groaning under the weight, the sacrifice, the loss that has been created for us. And in the midst of that, sometimes small things, they don't seem like much. But I wonder, I wonder if small things might actually be the power brokers of our new normal. Pay attention, friends. Notice the small things. What Jesus tells us is that the small things are going to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus says. So I ask you again, what small thing is holding your gaze right now? What is it? What have you noticed? What small thing is holding your gaze right now? And how might God use it for good? Amen. Friends, as we respond to this word, we're going to sing one of my very favorite hymns about small things and how they make a big difference. It's called the Hymn of Promise. It was written by Natalie Sleeth, the occasion of her husband's death. I want to encourage you as you see the words come up on your screen, join with us as we sing the Hymn of Promise.